Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. I'm going to talk uh, today to wrap up our Seeds and Swords sermon series. And we've been on quite a journey. It's been going for several weeks, and we've spoken about how God planted seeds at the beginning in the Garden of Eden, and I used the illustration of my father-in-law. He plants a seed of a fruit tree, and then he watches that fruit tree, and if it's not growing correctly, he uses swords, sometimes a spike to make it grow straight. Sometimes he cuts off diseased parts, or he prunes the, the tree, but he guides that fruit tree to full maturity. And the picture in the Bible, the big picture of the Bible, we're taking a step back and looking at the big idea of the Bible, is that God planted a seed in the beginning which was good. Jesus told a parable in Matthew 13 where he talks about a a farmer who planted good seed and then somebody came in and, and planted some bad seed in amongst the good seed and his family and workers and friends looked and they saw all these weeds growing up with the good seed and they were horrified. They said, was there something wrong with the seed? And the farmer said, no, there was nothing wrong with the seed, but an enemy has got in and has planted something in there. And so the the friends and the workers said, well, let's go and pull out the, the weeds so that your good seed can grow And the farmer said, when you're pulling out the weeds, you're going to pull out the good seed as well, and I don't want to damage any of the good seed, and so we're going to leave them to grow up together, and at the end, we're going to harvest them all and throw the weeds away, and the good seed will be harvested. And Jesus was saying, he was giving a picture of the the Bible in, in microcosm. He was saying, God planted good seeds on planet Earth, But an enemy got in, and it was humans who let the enemy in. They believed the devil's lies. They trusted him instead of God. They said, the devil knows better what's best for me instead of God who loves me. And so they let this enemy sow bad seeds. And God said, rather than messing up the whole thing and and uprooting all the seeds, I'm going to let the two grow together, the evil and the good. I'm going to let it. But God worked a rescue plan. And right at the beginning in Genesis 3, verse 15, just after Adam and Eve had sinned, you would imagine God would be angry. You would imagine him to not be talking about rescue, redemption, forgiveness. You would imagine him being frustrated and saying, you guys have messed up this good seed. But right at the start, he starts planning and promising for a rescue. And so in Genesis 3, verse 15, He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the the serpent, Satan. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. So what he's saying is rather than trash the whole thing, I'm going to use the principles, the seed principles, the the laws of nature, the laws of relationships, the laws of spiritual life. I'm going to use what I put in place. I'm not going to change the laws, but I'm going to use them and produce another seed that will rescue the plan. He says, I'll put enmity between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise or crush your head, and you shall bruise or crush his heel. 
And God was promising there was gonna be a seed, another seed. And we've said in previous weeks that the New Testament clarifies this for us. In 1 Peter 1 verse 23, it says that people who have seen Jesus and believed that he died for them have got a, a new seed put inside them. It says you've been born again, not of corruptible seed, not of that initial seed that was damaged, but of an incorruptible, perfect, eternal, spiritual, everlasting seed. You've been given a new seed within you. And so now today, I wanna to talk about Isaiah chapter 53. Now this chapter is in the Old Testament. It was written 700 years before Jesus was born, and yet it predicts Jesus so accurately that traditional Jewish people, because they don't believe in Jesus, they do not read this chapter. When they read through the Bible, through their Torah, through the Old Testament, they don't read Isaiah 53 because it's so obviously talks about Jesus. And I want you to see how God was talking about a seed and a sword and promising the seed, the rescue that was to come. You may have heard verses of Isaiah 53 quoted, but I'm gonna go through the whole chapter and I believe it will help you and I really believe it'll help us drastically today. So it starts, Isaiah 53 verse one. Who has believed our report? Now that's important because the whole of the rest of the chapter hinges on who has believed our report. If you believe what he's about to say, then the arm of the Lord is revealed to you. You see the power and the rescue and the strength and the glory of God's rescue plan. If you believe it, if you don't, none of this becomes relevant and, appli and applicable to you. Amazing. So he, said, he starts off by giving you and I an option. He says, who has believed our report? Who's gonna believe what I'm about to say? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm, the strength, the rescue of the Lord is revealed to the one who believes it. I wanna be one of those. Lord, let me be one of those who believes it. Who just says, God, I take what you say is true. God, I, I, I accept that. I grab it. I say, yes, Lord, this is true. If you are one of those people, then what I'm about to say applies to you. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's talking about Jesus and he says he's not gonna come riding on the clouds with a horse and a sword and a shout and a trumpet. He's gonna come as a tiny little plant growing up out of dry ground, like a seed. He's the seed of Eve. He comes, you know, there's dry ground because God planted a beautiful garden in Eden but because of sin, the ground became hard and difficult and thistles and thorns. And so the earth became like a dry, hardened, crusty place, but this little seed of God's rescue plan, Jesus, it says, comes up. He shall grow up like a tender plant, a beautiful little perfect seedling breaking through the ground and just winding its way up. And he started small. We celebrate at Christmas that he started as a vulnerable little infant in a manger and he was vulnerable to harm and to damage, but he grew and he grew. Grew up as a tender plant, 
a root out of dry ground. He has no formal comeliness. When people looked at him, they didn't think, wow, the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Savior of the world. They thought, little baby. And even when he was a grown-up, there was nothing about him that made him look like he was the Son of God. It was hidden inside. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Most of planet earth did not and does not esteem Jesus. The Son of God came to us and most people ignore him, reject him, despise him. And now it tells you why he came in a vulnerable form, why he was of sorrows and grief. It wasn't because he was a sad person. He was taking something for you and me. Listen to verse four. Surely he has borne our griefs. Surely, definitely. You can bank on this. He has borne, that means carried. He's got our griefs on him. He's carried our sorrows. Now I'm hoping you're starting to get a a sense of hope and maybe there's more. I was speaking to a man on Friday night. He's not a churchgoer. He sought us out. He, he found my wife and I. He said, I want to ask about God because I'm, I'm, I've got such grief and anguish in my heart. There's got to be more to life than this. And we were able to tell him, yes, Jesus has carried your sorrows and your griefs. It's not yours to bear. He's already carried them. We esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. And now I'm going to read verse 5, which is the most beautiful verse in the Bible. It says, but he was, Jesus was, wounded for our transgressions. So there's, there's little pairs of words here. Wounded for our transgressions. The next little pair is he was bruised for our iniquities. The third one is, The chastisement or the punishment of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. There are four pairs of words there. First one is, he was wounded for our transgressions. What are transgressions? It's the thing that Adam and Eve did when they turned away from God and they looked at the devil and they said, devil, you know better than God about what I need. We do that, I do that on a daily basis because each of us, turns away from God, we transgress, and the the little fruit tree is bent and diseased, and God could have left us, but it says Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. Instinctively, we know that if I do something wrong, if I hurt you, if I steal from someone, if I break the law, if I do something wrong, there is damage caused. We know that. There is always some... uh, consequence. And Jesus was wounded to take the consequence for every single wrongdoing, every transgression. And that word wounded is translated in most Bibles, pierced. So let me tell you how Jesus was pierced. Pierced means your skin is broken. When he was arrested on the night that he was betrayed, so he's praying in the garden of Gethsemane, And Judas, the betrayer, comes and kisses him on the cheek, and they take him away, and they question him with the Jewish authorities, and he was hit with fists. 
Then the next, so some of his skin was pierced. He was broken, hit with fists. The next morning, they took him to Herod, the Jewish ruler, and to the Roman authorities, and the Roman authorities took him into the praetorium, which was this big barracks room where all the soldiers were, and they made a mockery of him. They dressed him in clothes. They got a a thorny crown. They wove together thorns, big spikes, and they pushed it into his head. He was pierced. Why? For my transgressions. Then it says they got a stick First of all, they gave it to him and they said, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they took the stick and they hit the crown of thorns. Then they punched him. Then they pulled his beard out and there were piercings happening. Then he went to Pilate and Pilate said, I find nothing wrong with him. But the Jewish authorities said, you must punish him. So he said, I'm going to have him whipped. And he sent him outside and they would have a whip which was leather thongs with pieces of lead and bone woven into the leather. They put him over a whipping post and they whipped him over the back with this leather and bone and lead whip that would have ripped shreds of his flesh. He was pierced for our transgressions. And every time one of those things bit into his skin, He remembered, I'm not paying for my punishments because he was completely innocent. He was paying for our transgressions. And then they took him, they put a big wooden cross on him. Splinters would have pierced his back and his his skin. They took him up, they pounded nails into his hands, into his feet, and eventually they plunged a sword, and he was pierced. He was pierced. Why? For our transgressions. Was he pierced once? No. Was he pierced 10 times? No. He was pierced multiple times, and every time his skin broke, he was paying for a transgression of many people, of all people, the Bible says. He was pierced. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised or crushed for our iniquities. Let me just read you what the the lexicon says. It says this word bruised is the Hebrew word daka, which means to crush, to trample, to bruise, to cause internal damage. He was bruised for our iniquities. First of all, what are iniquities? Iniquities are different to transgressions. Transgressions are where I cross a line of sin and I have done something wrong. I am guilty. It is written in the law books for all eternity in heaven and earth that I have crossed a line of sin and I am guilty and I deserve a punishment. That is a transgression and Jesus was wounded or pierced for those. But an iniquity, the Hebrew word is awon, which means a perversity, a depravity. It comes from the word ava, which means to bend or to twist or to distort. It means a tendency to sin. It means an inherited tendency to sin, an internal wrongness where I'm bent on the inside. And he was bruised and crushed for my wrongness. Not just the things I've done, but the fact that I want to do wrong. You see, the Old Testament talks about a consequence of sin, which is the sins of the fathers are visited on the children to the third and the fourth generation. That's just a reality of life. That's a consequence. You find when there's a problem in a family, it goes down through the generations because we inherit 
not just the tendency to sin, but we judge our parents for their sin, and the Bible says when you judge, you will be judged with the same judgment that you use. So we, we bind ourselves doubly to the sins of our fathers, and Jesus died, he was bruised or crushed for our twistedness so that I don't have to be desiring wrong inside anymore. I don't know about you, but that is amazing news for me. This is where a sword comes in. He grew up as a seed, but it was the sword. So how was he, how was he bruised? Do you remember in Genesis 3, we read that God predicted your seed will rescue, but there's gonna be a fight between the devil, and the devil's seed will bruise his heel, and he will crush or bruise the devil's head. This is the bruising, it's an internal damage. How was Jesus internally damaged? Right there in the garden of Gethsemane, when he's praying, they come and they grab him and there's bruising. They tie him up and there's bruising. They throw him down in front of the authorities and he's bruised. Then they take him into the Roman and the Jewish uh, Herod's place and, and they start uh, hitting him. The Bible says, first of all, with the palms of their hands, they hit him, slaps all over his body, then with fists. When they hit the stick and the thorns on his head, there was bruising. When he was whipped, there was bruising. When he was tied up, there was bruising. When he was thrown on the ground, when the big cross was put on his back to carry, there was bruising. He climbed the hill and every time he fell down, there was bruising. Then they put the nails through his hands and his feet. There was bruising. Why was there bruising? Why was his face marred more than any other man beyond human recognition, Isaiah 52 says. He was marred beyond human recognition. Why was there so much bruising everywhere? Just about every part of his body was bruised. Swollen, hurt on the inside. Why? Because I am twisted on the inside and every time he was bruised, he was taking the damage on the inside to untwist me on the inside and the sword of God comes in. You see, God says, I've planted a beautiful seed, man has messed it up, but I am gonna take the punishment for them so that the seed can grow again. And those who see it, who has believed our report, they see this effect in their lives. It's only those who say, yes, Lord, that was for me, that the twisting starts to come undone in the inside. The third one is the punishment for our peace was upon him. Punishment or chastisement means God's anger. You see, even though there were just natural consequences for sin, there was actually also an anger from God where God said, Adam and Eve, I made you for better than this. I promised you so much. I showed you so much. Why did you believe that liar? And there's a, a frustration and an anger in God. And the Bible says, that Jesus on the cross took that punishment, that chastisement, that anger. He took it so that God is no longer angry. There's an amazing little passage in the very next chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah 54, verse nine, it says this. God says, just after he's described Jesus dying on the cross, he says, for this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be angry with you, nor rebuke you. 
For the mountains shall depart, the hills shall be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from me, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. Because Jesus took it. If you feel like God is angry with you, the problem is you have not believed his report. Because he says, who has believed our report? Jesus took the punishment of our peace was upon Jesus. If you're saying God is still angry with me, you're saying Jesus' punishment wasn't enough. Jesus didn't pay a high enough price. If you're feeling God is still angry with you, you are not believing the report of the Lord. And all you have to do is say, thank you, God. Jesus, you took the punishment so that I could have peace with God. He's not angry with me anymore. He loves me. When he looks at me, there's kindness in his eyes and a smile on his face and a warmth in his heart. The punishment for our peace was upon Jesus. You know, when he was hanging there, before he started hanging there on the cross, he was rejected again and again. The Jewish authorities rejected him and called him a blasphemer. Then he's standing with Pilate in front of the whole crowd in Jerusalem, and Pilate says, shall I release this man to you? They say, no, release Barabbas, the murderer, crucify him. The whole crowd rejected Jesus. Then he's hanging naked on a cross in a public place, bloodied, wounded, bruised, and the crowd are hurling insults at him, and the soldiers are insulting him, and people are looking as they walk past and mocking him. He was rejected, and then God turned his face away because he said, now you are carrying the sin of the world, and Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he knew why. It was because he was carrying the punishment for my peace, and I wanna say to you, dear friend, if you do not feel you have peace in your heart, it's because you don't have peace with God. And the way to get peace with God is to see Jesus carrying it for you and say, I believe that report. I believe it. He carried my punishment. And then the last phrase is, by his stripes we are healed. By his scars, by his bruises, by his marks. This word stripes means the marks that are left behind on a body after an injury. So I've already detailed how, how many injuries he had, and every one of them left a mark. I don't know if you believe in the Shroud of Turin. I personally do, but I'm not gonna make a big deal of it because people have different opinions, and I know they've done a carbon dating that says it's not from the time of Jesus. I don't know if you know what it is. The Shroud of Turin is a cloth that they found and they said it's got an image of it, of a, on it of a man who was crucified and he looks like he was crucified just like Jesus. He's got all the marks, he's got all the whip marks all over the body, he's been pierced, he's had his, a sword stuck in his side, he's been hit and bruised. Interestingly, there's a cloth called the Sudarium of Oviedo in Spain which is supposed to be another cloth that was wrapped around the head of Jesus when he was taken off the cross. And when you put the, the cloth in Oviedo together with the Shroud of Turin, the blood marks are in the same places, and the blood, they've tested it, it's AB, it's the same blood type from a Jewish male person. And they've carbon dated the sudarium, the cloth of Oviedo, and it is dated from Jesus' time. 
So I, I believe it, but I'm not gonna make a big deal of it. But if you look at the Shroud of Turin, you see the marks, the stripes of a man who's been crucified. You see there, there are hundreds of marks all over his body from the bones and the lead where he was whipped, just all over, from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. They're just cuts and bruises and welts. It's just horrific. And I look at that and I say, why was that necessary? Jesus never sinned. He grew up as a tender plant, as a beautiful seed to rescue. The reason is, by those marks, I am healed. I am healed. The reason for disease and sickness, it was never God's plan, but we invited it in when we said to the devil, you come and be involved in this world of ours, sickness entered in, and Jesus said, I'm gonna take enough marks for every single type of sickness that could ever be, I'm gonna take it on my body, and by his marks, every single one of them, we are healed. Have you ever wondered why when Jesus rose again from the dead, he still had scars and marks on his body? You know, if somebody can rise again from the dead, they can heal their scars and their marks. And yet, when Jesus rose again, he said to Thomas, put your hand inside the wound in my side. Put your hand inside the holes in my hands. In Revelation, it says, I saw um, Jesus and he looked like a lamb that had been slain. Why does he still have all those marks on him when he's in heaven? Why doesn't he just heal himself fully and look beautiful again? The reason is because he's carrying those marks because by his marks, by his stripes, by the wounds and scars, I am healed. And he's proclaiming for all eternity to heaven, to earth, to the demonic realm. He's saying, look at the marks. There is no need for you to be sick because I paid the price. Amazing. And then it goes on in verse six, to say we all like sheep have gone astray. So now the metaphor is changing from a little tender root to a sheep. And it's saying you and I are sheep. When a Jewish person hears the word sheep, they think of sacrifice and they think of sheep in a field. And it says we are all sheep, we've gone astray, we deserve to fall off a cliff or be sacrificed. We've turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, Jesus, he was afflicted, he opened not his mouth, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And they're thinking of the, the sacrifice system where a lamb has to get sacrificed to pay for sin. Jesus was the lamb of God. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before his shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. He could have spoken and answered all of their questions, but he didn't, he took it. He was taken from prison and from judgment and who will declare his generation? Now this is interesting. It's saying, what children did he have? Who will declare his generation? And in the physical he had none, but wait. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. They made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, and that's true, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. He was totally innocent. And then listen to verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, 
and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It says when you make his soul or his life an offering for sin, and that word offering is what the Jews did. They made offerings to God and sacrifices day in and day out, every festival, every weekday, every Sabbath. It says when you make his life an offering for your sin, then he shall see his seed. And now we see what happens. God does a miracle. The devil thought he was destroying Jesus, but he was creating unwittingly, unknowingly, the devil was creating a new seed that would be put in people who believe the report and see the arm of the Lord. And a new seed gets put inside you. He shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. We suddenly become part of this group of people who have a new seed in us, supernatural seed, and the pleasure of the Lord is in us, is in our midst. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. Those who know about him will be justified. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he has poured out his soul unto death, he was numbered with the transgressions, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So my question to you, dear friend, who has believed this report? Because to them, the arm of the Lord has been revealed. We grew up in a corrupted, broken seed system, but God broke in and he says, look what I've done. I've paid the price and I've produced a way for you to get a brand new seed and to start a new life. But you've got to say, I believe it, Lord. Jesus, I believe you paid for my sins. I believe, I believe, I believe. And the thing about belief is it doesn't depend on your feelings. You see, if it was based on feelings, it wouldn't be belief. Belief means I trust what somebody says even though I may not feel it's true. That's belief. And belief says, God, I still feel guilty. I still feel tempted. I still feel the grief, the weight of the world. But I'm going to trust what you say is right. And as you believe, the arm of the Lord is revealed. The power of God comes in and it changes you. And what we're going to do today is we're going to take communion as a sign that we believe. Not as a sign that we are good or perfect or sinless or we've got it all sorted out. We take communion to say, Jesus, when you died on the cross, I believe, and I was there, and you were paying for my sin, and my peace has been bought. My transgressions are paid for. My iniquity has been changed. My healing has been bought by the stripes on your body. Jesus, I believe. And as you believe, it starts to grow. The seed that's tiny on the inside of you grows and grows and grows, and it'll change you forever. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.